Okay, everyone. Hello, hello. It's 9 o'clock. We'll go ahead and get started. Um, how's everyone doing? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? Good? Everyone's good? Surviving? Well, my wife and I just got over um, some vicious colds, so like I was in bed uh, on Thursday putting this together, and I thought it was just kind of ironic because, you know, today we're talking about like some like human limitations and stuff, so, you know, anyways. Uh, there's a time for everything, uh, and time now is to study God's Word, and let's pray before we jump into this exciting portion on Ecclesiastes. So, bow with me, if you would. Heavenly Father, as we come to the text today, uh, may we hear your voice, and uh, may we humbly participate with that voice in discerning what is good and prosperous for our lives. May we see how your Son speaks to us through this chapter. Even though it's in the Old Testament, Lord, uh, we know that Jesus gives us the power to live life and to enjoy it well. We are grateful uh, for your love for us and that you have brought us all here today healthy and safe. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay. So, uh, review from last week. David Bufford was here talking about what exactly? What did we learn last week? What did we talk about? What were some things that we remembered? <coughs> what makes you happy? What makes you happy? Yeah. No, that's a, that's, that's a, a great thing to think about. Great thing to think about. What makes us happy? What gives us purpose in life? What else did we talk about? We talked about work. That is absolutely right. Ecclesiastes 2 is all about work. And Kohelet, one of the authors of the book, or kind of the main voice out of Ecclesiastes, uh, is reflecting on, okay, well, if everything is hevel, if everything is kind of um, this puzzle or this conundrum, we're, we're, we're like, what is, what is life? What's the purpose of life? A lot of the times we like to find our life's purpose surrounding what we do and why we are doing those things. So that could be a career path for you. It could just be a vocational life thing. Uh, it could be that you are in charge of the family or you're raising kids. And so Kahalik kind of looks in at, uh, you know, what is, it, you know, what is the, the, the purpose of work in, in, a, in a broken life and how do we make sense of all of those things? Uh, yes, and, and do we have pleasure in that? Uh, can we find pleasure in it? And uh, Kohelet is heartbroken in the end because he realizes that he is going to have to give his work away. Everything that he has built, everything that he has strove after, everything that he has acquired in his life, he realizes that he cannot take it with him beyond the grave. And so he has to give it to someone else who probably didn't work for it as hard as he did. That's that's frustrating. <laughs> if you didn't if, if you didn't pick onto that. So, anything else? What else? What else stuck out to us from last week? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So, uh, 
all the things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and so that's a, that's a really good point. Work should be viewed as something theocentric, not egocentric. And, and this is part of how we begin to enjoy the gift of work, is, is when we start seeing it as something we are doing for the kingdom, not necessarily something we are doing or acquiring for ourselves. And, and this is the process of how we begin to see work as gift. And that's, and that's something that we, we don't often think about uh, a lot of the time because, you know, we're going to work, we're doing our... Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, it's a grind. There's people that are frustrating. There's things that are frustrating. Uh, we come home, uh, you know, and we're exhausted at the end of the day. And then uh, we go back to work again. And we're, you know, we're, we're trying to make sense of, of, of life on what we do. And then we work for all the way until you're 60, 70, I don't know, what, whatever the age is now. And then you retire, and, and that's it. <laughs> so, yeah, how do we begin to in, in enjoy work when work might be frustrating or it might be difficult. Uh, and, and, and to see something like our work as, as truly a gift from God, uh, that is something that Kohelet teaches us to enjoy. Other final thoughts? Well, just that, that God work, he's our model. Yes. He created in his image. Yeah. And, and we need to uh, work because he's, he's our model. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Ah, uh, yes. And what master are you serving? Ah. Uh, Whether it's working for an employer, working for yourself, mm-hmm. um, or if you're retired, yeah. you know, and working on your house yeah. and taking care of things. Still, whose kingdom are you building and what master do you serve? I found that very mm. helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're building our own kingdom, mm-hmm. um, it's heaven. Yes. But if we're building God's kingdom, there's yeah. joy in that. Yes. So we can find joy even in the daily monotony um, of things always seeming the same. Yeah. Um, but there's joy in that knowing that there's purpose, there's an eternal purpose. Totally, yeah. Because that's what we are going to be experiencing in the next life is, is, is simply that thing. Um, you know, in this, in this life, um, those things will, will fade away. And so might as well work for something that's eternal rather than, <laughs> rather than temporary. So thank you, Tracy. That's, that's a really great insight. Um, just to catch you guys up to speed. If you're new to the class uh, or if you are joining us for the first time or you just need a refresher, um, purpose of the class is to understand, uh, internalize the message of Ecclesiastes and to learn how we fear God and enjoy the life that he gives us. Um, That's why we've titled the class, Fear God, Enjoy His Gifts. That's what Ecclesiastes is talking about. It's the things that we uh, seemingly have control over in a world that seems so heavy, uh, or when things seem vaporous, we can't seem to grasp or understand them. Uh, what we do have uh, control over is our attitudes, and that is to fear God and to also enjoy the gifts and the life that he gives us. So uh, that's the purpose of the class and what, what we're looking into. Um, we've gone over a paradigm for understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, as we read throughout Ecclesiastes, we start to understand that there is kind of a, a pattern that we see throughout the book. Um, and that is this word right here um, called Hevel. And if you can't see it that much, I'm going to write it um, in Hebrew. It looks a little like this. H-E-V-L, I know. my. Okay, so it looks a little like this. Um, and it's spelled H-E-V-E, Hevel. And um, if you don't know, this is the same word that is used for Abel in Genesis 
4. Okay, really interesting. Uh, and so a lot of people think, well, maybe this might be a coincidence, but other people also think, hey, this might be a really interesting thing that the author is calling us back to look at Genesis and to think about life outside the garden and it's short, <laughs> it's kind of a conundrum, we're trying to figure it out. And so the use of this word is uh, so much throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, it's, it, it, it draws us into uh, a meditative posture on, on how we can start to understand life. Um, when we think about uh, this word in the NIV, it's translated as meaninglessness. Um, uh, but it's, it's not really so much that way. Um, in fact, life is full of meaning. You and I both know that. I think Jesus would agree that life is full of meaning. Uh, however, this is kind of more of a puzzle or a conundrum, and we're, we're trying to figure it out. And so, uh, ironically, uh, Kohelet is saying life is actually full of a lot of meaning, uh, but uh, in the areas where it seems like we can't grasp it or figure it out, uh, that's, uh, this, this becomes an area for us to enter in and, and, and and sit in the tension that, that we feel a lot of the times for the things that are not perfect and the things that we think should be. So, nice question, yes? So Abel's name is Abel? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so when we look at uh, Genesis 4, this is, this is the symbol that you will see for Abel's name. Uh, um, I, I think Claude, uh, last time, if you, if you guys run into him, uh, he, he might know the etymology on, on how this made a change and why that's, why that's different. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know that yet, but, uh, but yeah, you could probably look it up in some, ask Craig Blomberg, you know, he's here today, so, <laughs> yeah, he, he knows a lot. Um, yes, okay, where are we? Yeah, so, the question that we're seeming to answer today is, how does time enable us to enjoy the life God gives us, okay? Ecclesiastes 3. Some of us are, are familiar with this particular passage. Um, it's a poem. There's a time and a season for everything. Uh, you know, some of you guys might be familiar with that song. In every season, turn, 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 a time to I'm not going to sing the rest of the song, but you know where that's from. I was still in the loins of my ancestors when that came out. So, you know, I'll, you go look it up on YouTube. Um, so... Anyways, so how does time enable us to enjoy the life gives us? Today we're talking about time um, and all of those different things. Um, and today we're going we're gonna to talk about the Lord of the Rings um, because I love the Lord of the Rings and uh, I hope you guys do too. Uh, my wife's rolling her eyes back there, but that's okay. Uh, so, Lord of the Rings. Uh, this is a scene from The Hobbit. And uh, if you guys know anything about The Hobbit, it's a, it's a, it's a, story about an adventure that takes place um, where a, a, a seemingly homebodied person is invited to come and to experience this great adventure and this journey uh, where they will travel to the lonely mountain to reclaim treasure. And, uh, and so along the way, uh, Bilbo Baggins, who's kind of been this person who's stuck up in his house the whole time, uh, you know, goes out there and, and enjoys this adventure. And, uh, you know, kind of the, the scariest thing happens is that he's, he's separated uh, from his, his group of people. And, uh, and while he's separated from the group of people, he uh, finds himself, uh, you know, tumbling down into this cavern where he encounters uh, the creature known as Gollum, or later on we'll know him as Smeagol. 
And uh, Gollum is a uh, you know a creature who is uh, kind of has lived in this in this cave forever. He's you know kind of a deformed sort of person. He eats raw fish um, and is in this smelly, wet, dark cave. And uh, you know on, on encountering Bilbo. Um, you know, Bilbo's trying to find the way out of here, and he makes a deal with Gollum, and he says, look, uh, let's, let's have a game of riddles. If um, I win, uh, then I can get out, you'll show me the way out of the cave, but if you win, um, Gollum says, I get to eat you. So they play this game of riddles, and they go back and forth. They each kind of give each other a riddle, and then they have to figure it out, and the person who isn't able to figure out the riddle, um, you know, that, that, then they would lose. So one of the riddles that Gollum gives Bilbo uh, goes a little bit like this. This thing all things devours, birds, beasts, trees, and flowers. Gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal. Slays kings, ruins town, and beats mountains down. The answer to this riddle is time. Because time is something we are often sabotaged by. Uh, it, is, it is not necessarily the events that take place that, uh, that lead to our destruction, but it is the, the span of, of, of time and the effect of what that, that does to us. And, and that's a lot of what we will see here in this passage. Um, the paradox is that time is something that it's a very valuable commodity, uh, yet it, it is also something that is the most destructive. There is a, a beginning and an ending to everything. Even, even the most powerful things will experience an ending of sorts, and, and that's frustrating. Uh, time seems to be in existence, uh, you know, a, a riddle itself, which is, which is quite fitting for the book of Ecclesiastes. And Kohelet loves these puzzles, but what's interesting here is that if we go back to our, um, if we go back to our paradigm for understanding the book, Hevel does not appear in 3, 1 through 15, which is, which is really interesting. Life under the I sun. Thank you, Siri. Um, <laughs> life under the sun is not given in this passage as well, but also there is nothing better. This, this is the only thing that appears, which is interesting. So there is something to be said here about time and enjoying the life God gives us. And uh, we can think of Ecclesiastes 3 as, a, you know, kind of like an expose uh, on, on time and work. Um, and, and just given the previous observations surrounding our work life, uh, it, this allows us to experience, um, experience joy even in the most limited of situations. Okay? And, and here's how um, this, this whole thing begins. Um, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 3. Uh, for everything, there is a season. Uh, and a time for every matter under heaven. So Kohelet almost invites us to think of ourselves like we're like some sort of farmer or an uh, agriculturalist observing the seasons and, and watching things and, and knowing that like, okay, in, in the springtime, uh, this, this is when we experience this, or in the wintertime, this is when we experience this, in the fall I harvest Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So it, it's almost like it, it might be a helpful viewpoint for how we see this passage, and maybe even in some of the things that are kind of hard for us to discern, uh, you know, or maybe even relate to our life. Like think about it like you're in the shoes of a, a farmer, <laughs> of sorts. 
Um, you might notice that the term matter or affair or business in some of your translations, uh, so every matter under heaven, this word right here is really interesting. Um, while it holds the, the lexical range for, for matter, affair, or business, it also holds the definition for desire, delight, and pleasure, which is really kind of fascinating. So there's a time for every desire, every pleasure, every, every joy, maybe, under, under heaven. Uh, so there's appointed times and there's points in time. And uh, you will notice that as we read this poem together, there's a bunch of different contrasting entities. Uh, you, a lot of the times commentators will say that, hey, there's an unfavorable entity and there's a favorable entity. But the best way for us to think about that is here's, uh, or is, is that there is just seemingly opposite events that take place, uh, not necessarily positive and negative. On the back of your handy-dandy worksheet, um, I have provided a structure for how we are to see this passage. And that you'll notice it's, it's a chiasm, um, which is a way that the Hebrews have structured poetry uh, or seemingly parts of their narrative discourses throughout scripture that lead from a single point upward to a peak and then back down again, um, leading from A to B, back to A again. And uh, this appears all over the place in the Hebrew Bible, um, even some places in the New Testament, which is interesting. Uh, If these are intentional or not, most of the time uh, we believe they are. Sometimes they might not be, so it's, that's a whole other thing of debate. But, uh, you know, as we go throughout Ecclesiastes 3, um, I want you guys to get into groups and to read this together. Um, 3, 1 through 15, I want you to get into groups and to read uh, 1 through 8. I know it says 1 through 15 right here. Uh, but read verses 1 through 8. And I want you to answer these two questions. What new or insightful things do you notice about this passage? What are things that stick out to you? What's something? Some of you guys have read this before. Hopefully, you guys have been reading through this throughout the week. But what are some kind of new things that have seemed to jump out out at you, or that you didn't notice before, that you you found very interesting about the flow of time and and all these things? Um, and the second question: How does Kohelet teach us to see time? How does, how does he teach us to see time? What do you think he's he's getting at in verses one through eight? So I know it says. 3, 1 through 15 right there. It should say 3, 1 through 8. Okay? 3, 1 through 8. That's all we're focusing on. We will get through 9 through 15 later. Trust me on that. Uh, We'll give you about 5 or 10 minutes to talk about it with your friends. We'll get in groups. Ready to go. We'll have a discussion after. Okay. All right. You all have your... Answers, we've figured out the poem in 10 minutes or so. We've kind of seemingly figured all that out. All right, cool. Uh, I'd love to hear some of your um, insights on what your groups discovered together and to just kind of have a conversation about it for a little bit. Uh, this is, I, th- I think this is one of the most beautiful things about poetry is that you can sit with poems forever and come back to it over and over again. Uh, I've got a lot of books at my house and I, I, you know, I read a lot. Uh, but uh, you know, one of my uh, 
a, a great gift that my wife got me for, for Christmas is a small little book um, that's filled with poems. And you can just open it up, and sometimes I, I read the same poem over and over and over again, um, or I'll just sit with it for like 10, 15 minutes or so and be like, yeah, to really ponder and to enter into that reflective state. That's a lot of what poetry is doing, especially Hebrew poetry as well. It wants you to be in a pondering posture. <laughs> so as we've kind of entered into this pondering posture with your groups, and as we've talked about it and chewed on it together, what are some things that have stuck out to you guys? Or, or things that you're like, oh, wow, that was kind of cool, or, or, or this was insightful, or this is what we talked about. So I'll open the floor to y'all. Yes, Cindy. <laughs> Yeah, things change. And uh, do we like change? Some, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes change is really, really hard. And a lot of the times I find that we don't like change. But things change. Thanks, great insight. Thank you, Cindy. That idea that, that things change, I was thinking, we were talking about how yeah. life is like a pendulum swinging from one thing to another, joy mm. and sorrow, um, birth and death. Mm. Um, things change, but that's, that's a good thing that things change. We weren't meant to always stay in rejoicing and celebrating, um, and we aren't meant to stay in sorrow as well. Um, it, it, I think it's an encouragement in those times. Yeah. That, um, there's a moment to enjoy this, to appreciate it, to learn something, even in hard things, and yeah. death and sorrow. Yeah. There's something to appreciate and reflect on. Yeah. But we aren't meant to just stay there. Mm. Mm. And not just to move on from that moment either. It also seems like there's an appointed time, and we should appreciate mm. whatever is happening in that time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's also encouraging, because it makes us think that if you currently are in a very hard season, <laughs> or if there's an area where you're like, man, I'm really wrestling with something, it's not going to be forever. Uh, like the seasons come and go uh, that we experience, uh, whether it's winter or summer or spring or here in the Northwest, it's just rainy and not rainy. Um, you know, we know that's not going to be this this way forever. So thanks. That's a, that's a really insightful way to think about. It's a even in the time analogy there, <laughs> the pendulum that's swinging like a clock. So I like that. Other thoughts on that? Anyone Anyone else talk about change? I was, I was thinking kind of this is the story of a person's life. Yeah. yeah. And, and we have one thing after them, uh, whereas God can see everything at once. Um, God is uh, one thing. Yes. One thing at a time. Yeah. And Wonderful. Yeah the story of someone's life, like all these things take place in someone's lifetime. Yeah, Randy. I found the reality of the plant and uproot or plant and harvest, because I grew up on a farm. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, you plant in the spring, and, and mom would grow her garden, and we'd grow lots of buds, and, and you'd have all that stuff starting in the winter, but then eventually it was all gone. Yeah. And until spring came again. Really saw the cycle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that. Then again, I, I wonder if, like you viewing this, you just automatically see it through the lens of being a farmer because you, you you grew up on that. So, anyone else grow up in agriculture at all? Anyone else do that stuff? Well, yeah. Other people. That's fun. 
Um, yeah, Will. Gardening. It's like the only thing I've gardened is tomatoes. And it's like you got to rip them up at the end of the season. Yeah. They don't last the next year. You gotta plant them more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's sad. Yeah, I would have to do that. We have a raspberry bush in our backyard, and it's just it's fun to see when it just like booming with raspberries, and, and now it's just like a bunch of sticks that are out of the ground. You're like, oh, this is kind of depressing, but okay. Judy? And I think that points well to your choice of opposite activities. Yeah. Because it's easy to associate negative things with, like it sounds like it's pulling up what you planted. Yeah. But actually that's a good thing because you're going to eat off of that. Yes. And so I like, I like the opposite activities. Yeah, Craig Bartholomew is actually the person who, who kind of invited us to see it that way. A lot of people will say, oh, it's favorable, unfavorable. The best thing to look at that is just opposite activities. I know I put positive and negative on the back there. I put a little note describing it. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's some things on here that it's just like, yeah, um, giving birth is awesome, uh, but women, we know that that's really hard, <laughs> and it's painful, and so... You know, that's a time to be born even, I mean, even there's a, there's a, a joyful thing is holding your child at the, the end of all of that process, but it's also, it's also very difficult. Even, even death too, like we've, we've had, I remember, you know, when my grandfather passed away and he was, uh, he was on his hospice bed and it was kind of a, oh, we were at peace now. Death is still really difficult and it's hard, but we were happy that he, he passed peacefully. Um, and is now with Jesus. So, yeah, it, it's hard to kind of hold these things as extremely, like, yes, this is very good and this is very bad. Uh, a lot of these things are complex. So, And I think if you yeah. take the, the negative-positive aspect away from it, yeah. you can see the rhythm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, the favorable and unfavorable seem to kind of disappear, and you almost see, like, oh, there's just there's just different sides of the of, of this whole thing, yeah. Exactly. Here's an interesting question uh, when I was pondering this thing, but um, what did you guys think of it when there was, w- there was kind of some entities like, oh, there, there's a time to kill. <laughs> there's a time to hate. <laughs> uh, there's a time to make war. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't really think we should kill people. <laughs> I don't think God wants us to do that. What, what did you guys think about that? Like, uh, those things. Yes, Lucas. Well, it doesn't say to kill people. Yes, that's true. And it's in the same place as planting and fucking up. So mm. uh, it, you could easily assume it's talking about animals. Yeah. Huh. Um, and the same with hating and war. It doesn't say what the object of our hate is meant to be. I mean, yeah. things in this world were meant to move uh, all hell and stay away from, yeah. um, and not love, yeah. and there are things in this world that we are meant to be at war at. Yeah. At hmm. oh. Very insightful. I like that. Uh, we'll go David, and then we'll move over here. So, David? So, so um, I think it's in, in Kings, who talks about uh, David in springtime, mm-hmm. uh, when Kings should be at war, mm-hmm. he was in Jerusalem. Mm. He got in trouble because he was in the wrong place. Yeah. But the Im- implication was that there's a cycle, and that the cycle, war was just part of that cycle. It, war, it wasn't like this big looming, oh, doom and death. And yeah. It was just, this is the time when you go to war. Yeah. And you go to war after you've gotten your planting done. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't go to war before you're planting done, because otherwise it's not the need when you get right. home. Totally. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it was cycles. <laughs> it was the same thing. Yeah. Got away from that, and... Um, 
our technology today, but that's the way things work. Yeah, totally. We'll go uh, Jacob and then Randy. For sure. <coughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just on that um, note about the hating in war, I don't think it's like for us to go looking for places to make war and for looking for places to hate people. Yeah. Um, I think it's just like if somebody's encroaching on like your freedom to like practice religion, uh-huh. um, I think maybe that would be a hill to die on. Yeah. Or, I, okay. I think there are hills to die on. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah. Yeah. And then with the hatred, I think if you love something, like something that comes in opposition to that love, Mm-hmm. Classified as a hatred, mm-hmm. not necessarily looking for things to hate, but mm-hmm. rather that you hating something might come, might come as a, a byproduct of loving something else. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, the choice that you make. That is. That's. Yeah. There's always things to do about like yeah. Um, Jacob, I loved Esau. I hated. Uh, did God really hate Esau? No, because Esau grew into a powerful nation, and the, I mean, they became the Edomites. Yes, they were Israel's enemies, but uh, but Esau too was also blessed. But God chose. He chose Jacob. Coincidentally, that's also your name. Um, anyways, um, yes, Jacob, he chose you. Uh, so, yeah, so there's, yeah, I don't think it's, it's, it's really calling us to think about, like, it's not condoning those actions, I don't think. And I, I like how you said it's not uh, saying, well, now it's time to go make war against, against these things. And, and so, but, but it, like David was saying, yeah, it's just, you know, look at look at our, our history, past hundred years. Um, how many conflicts that uh, our nation has been involved in, or other nations have been involved in, and uh, and and there's seasons that, that come with that. So, uh, Brandy. Yeah, we had a, a conundrum on that. Yeah. On that one, because it was like kill people, but then we thought, well, maybe it's probably animals, but then. Mm-hmm. Jerry had a good answer. Like you wouldn't shoot a deer for dinner and then try to deal with that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see what whatever that means. Yeah, Zach? I mean, if someone came in church with a gun and was trying to kill people, I would, I would try to rehabilitate them. <laughs> yeah, you would... You would think it's, yeah, and we can go down that rabbit hole and talk about ethics involved with that, uh, and I don't know if this poem is actually uh, in favor of doing it, um, in favor of, of, of looking, of exploring those ethical ideas um, might be a conversation for another time, but yes, I think we, we just find that there are, are opposite seasons, opposite activities in, in the seasons that we face, and, uh, and yeah, those are we might be confronted with with certain things in our lives that require us to, not us, um, but that require people to execute those things. So, yeah, I know that's a lot. Yeah. Um, we are talking about how um, mm-hmm. it's important to step back mm-hmm. from a broader look at it mm-hmm. and not to get stuck in the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, time for everything. Yeah. Um, time for every other yeah. Yeah, for sure. We got to move on just for the sake of time. Um, but uh, I wanted to ask you guys another question. You can get into groups again, talk with your neighbor just for a couple minutes. But look through verses nine through fifteen real quick. Just read those real quick, and uh, and uh, ask yourself what does Kohelet mean when he says that God has put eternity in man's heart as he's reflecting back on this. This poem. Now, Kohelet is now saying, okay, I'm going to reflect on this poem, and, and he seems to understand 
that uh, time is limited. Uh, there is beginnings and endings to everything. There's limitations to what we experience as humans and uh, limitations to the world in, in the world around us. And uh, he's going to explore what he sees in verses 1 through 8, and he's going to give us his reflection on how he understands uh, how, we, how do we live in a limited world, uh, or, or how do we make sense of the, um, the things around us. So, uh, yeah, talk about that for an, an, uh, three to four minutes uh, with your group. Just what does Kohalat mean when he says that God has put eternity in man's heart? Uh, let's explore that together. <coughs> All right. So, uh, what does Kohelet mean when he says this? Uh, he has put eternity in man's heart. Isn't that kind of cruel? Like, why put eternity in man's heart if nothing lasts forever? That's kind of, is, is God being a jerk here? Like, what, <laughs> what's going on? So why doesn't God want humanity to find out what, what he's done from beginning to end? Like, there's, there's got to be a reason behind why God has done this and, and why we have kind of that understanding of, yes, like, the things that I'm doing or I'm working for, like, I, I want them to be forever, or, you know, even even think about life uh, not in our, our, our Christian circles, you know, we have friends or family that, that don't know Jesus and don't follow him, uh, yet uh, they too, uh, in their mindset, and when they maybe talk about how, you know, people die, um, that something kind of lives on, or they're, they're hopeful that, it, you know, some essence of them is still alive somewhere, um, that's just kind of like, I find that to be like, like echoed in, in just all of human hearts. And I think that's why we'll get to in a little bit why, why Jesus almost like scratches that itch for us uh, right there. But, but let's sit in this part right here. You know, why put eternity in man's heart if nothing lasts forever? Why, why, would, God, why would God do this? Makes long for heaven. Yeah, okay. To realize we're not just here now. Okay. You know, there's forever and ever and ever and ever. Yeah, for sure. Um, we had another one, Tim. Yeah. Verse one, he talks about all the things under heaven. Yes. The time for this and this. He's talking under heaven here and there. Yeah. So this is eternity. This is like beyond that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Very good. Yeah, Galen. It just reminds me of Romans one nineteen and twenty talking about yeah. having an awareness of God in everybody. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if there's like this is a comment on on human anthropology and how how God has designed us, and if there's essence of the Creator within us because we long for things to last forever. Yet we live in a li- limited world. Uh, Randy, did you? I was just gonna agree with that. Yeah. It's that we have a sense there's something bigger. Yeah. Uh, a lot of cultures look for it in different ways. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, Lucas. Uh, I think humanity is designed like within God's domain, like the angels. Mm. But in the way that God created us, where He created us, it's an inbuilt humility to our bodies, to our spirits. Mm. And this is, this is part of that. God has put us in this place where we can't see mm. Seeing eternity, but we are still seeing his love. We're mm. seeing 
his kindness. We're seeing all these things about God that make us love him. Yeah. And not the things that are important yeah. in a non-love relationship. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, Ecclesiastes is teaching us to be humble. It's teaching us to be humble. Because what limitations tell us is that we are not God. Okay? That's, um, if we lived in like a limitless world uh, where everything we did lasted forever and uh, we were able to kind of seemingly create a world apart from God on our own, what would that tell us about ourselves? (laughs) Oh, maybe I'm God too. Oh man, what does that sound like? Oh yeah, Garden of Eden. That's right. Um, Remember Adam and Eve were like, yeah, you know, this fruit that God told us not to take? um, Yeah, I actually think it's good. I'm going to go and reach for that. And this world that God has created, um, I'm going to grasp a world of my own making, which is to say, this is what's good and right in my own eyes. And ironically, that doesn't work out. (laughs) And so I I think this... I don't know if it's a conundrum here. I think he's, he's realizing that eternity in the heart of man in a limited world is to actually keep us humble. Um, because I think that's the posture of how we enter into the eternal kingdom. And, uh, and, and even looking towards Jesus as not seeing, it, even though he was equal with God, did not seem equality with God something that he could just grasp. But, you know, he took on the form of a, a servant. He humbled himself, became like one of us. Jesus experienced human limitation, and he experienced hunger and uh, emotional limitations, um, and, 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 and showed us a beautiful model for how we are to experience those things, even anger and sadness, in holy ways. So, I, I look at Ecclesiastes and you know, I, I, I see this, and, and I think it's, there's, there's so much going on here. Um, but to understand, yeah, like, why, why doesn't God have us find out what he's done from beginning to end? Why are we only seeing a certain fraction of it? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's to humble us and remind us of our creatureliness. Other thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's an essence of the creator there. What I, I I think that is really important, and uh, and and definitely, you know, um, God becomes our father when we put our trust in Jesus uh, through the spirit of adoption. However, we are still his image bearers. And, uh, you know, everyone on earth, uh, human, is, is an image bearer. And there's, and there's something that um, God has placed within us, um, or the way that he's fashioned and designed humanity uh, to not actually be him, uh, but to represent him. And, and this might be one of those things. Yeah, Zach? What does the second half of 15 mean, and how does it relate to the church? Mm, that's a great question. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Anyone get to that one? 
Any had thoughts on that matter? Or predestination or God is sovereign. Yeah. He's already ordained everything that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and he's part of part of what's going to happen. Yeah. That's, that's why I read it. And that's, and that's one of the verses that it kind of points to um, God's sovereignty in mm. all of all of history, all of life. Mm. God's outside of time. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I don't know exactly what to say about this. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's another thing I think Kohelet's inviting us into. Man, what does he what does he mean about this? Um, I do think that it does probably relate to the every matter under heaven. You know, we've looked at the every under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. You know, when we when we see that little phrase in Ecclesiastes that that generally means like here's the life outside of Eden that that we have created for ourselves under the sun, um, but here he says it's, it's under heaven, and, and these are the things that God has ordained and, and has put in place and in motion. Um, I think it, it, in, in this understanding of what it means to be humble before God, it's how we uh, learn to fear him and, and understand that we live in the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For God seeks what has passed by. Yeah. Seeks what has been driven away. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 is yeah. whatever we're experiencing in life right now mm-hmm. has already been that's been experienced by others before us. Yes. And even what we might experience in the future yes. has been experienced in the past. Yes. And, and to think of the brokenness that we experience because of sin. Yeah. Um I don't know, I was just thinking, mm. God seeks, um, my translation says, um, mm. what has passed by, what yeah. has been driven away, and what if it was back in the garden? God is seeking yeah. the rest to restore yeah. what he had with humanity in the garden. Yes. That is something that we haven't experienced yet. Yeah. That completeness, completeness and fullness of relationship. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's it. That's where we're headed, that's where we're going. Revelation, end of Revelation, where are we? We're in the garden again, boom, there's the tree of life. And, 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 and it's, it's all over, okay? It's not just one place. God is, is seeking to bring heaven and earth together again into one place, um, and that is Eden, and, and that's what we will experience in the life and the world to come. Thank you, Tracy. That leads me into my next point, which uh, Jesus in eternity. I'm just going to, I want you guys to see, okay, listen, I cook meat, so I'm going to use this term. Jesus' teachings don't uh, feature Ecclesiastes, uh, but they are marinated in, that, in this wisdom. And I hope today you understand that Jesus scratches that itch for eternity. He's the answer for um, the, having eternity in our hearts. This is what he says, uh, John 5:24. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So even though we might experience endings or death uh, in this world, uh, you know, believing and trusting in what Jesus has done and, and living according to him is, is what will enable us to experience uh, eternity. Uh, John 6.51, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So when we covenant with with God through Jesus and um, live life according to how he would like us to live, uh, that is what enables us to experience eternal life, not in the future, but actually here and now.
which is which is a wonderful thing. So when we, we live according to God's word, uh, we are actually experiencing the realities of what we will experience when Eden uh, is restored over all the earth and heaven and earth are one again um, here right now. And so in conclusion, here's the... Uh, I, I know, I'm a theologian. These are my three kind of points. They're kind of long. Um, but I'll leave these up for you guys. Uh, time is limited. But living with limits teaching, teaches us to enjoy things while they last because life is full of beginnings, endings, and inevitable change. Two, while we are like God as his image bearers, we are also not like him. And limits are humbling uh, because they help us understand that, that we are not God. Living with limited time alongside the desires of eternity causes us to look to Jesus and how we might experience eternal life here and now. And, and that's what I leave you with, to know that work is a gift and also time is the place where we can experience work as gift. It becomes an arena for experiencing that and the, time, the times, or the seasons that you have are gifts from God and I encourage you to look at those things together. How are we doing? Thoughts? Closing things? Takeaways? Judy. One thing I kind of jumped out at me was in um, verse 13 mm-hmm. when he decides that nothing is better than us to be joyful mm-hmm. and do good as long as we live mm-hmm. so that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toil. Mm-hmm. This is God's gift to man. Mm-hmm. It's God's gift in the context of our sin of that resulted in us having the toil. Yeah. And yet even in that toil, God still has given us Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. There's, yeah, I've seen that there's nothing better uh, than to than to enjoy it, and even if it is hard and laborious and painful. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not just looking to look at the silver lining, but it is inviting you to see where God is at work in this process, and that is how we begin to experience gratitude and to be joyful. I'll pray for us and you guys can take off. Father, there are many seasons that we experience in this life. um, Seasons of opposites. Highest of highs, lowest of lows. Time to embrace, time to even refrain from embracing, even to say no to good things. Time to tear and a time to sow. Time to keep silence and a time to speak. Lord, there are seasons that we, collectively in this class, are are walking through and are struggling to see your presence in the midst of it. I pray that you would reveal yourself even in the joyful times and in the hard times as well. Help us to be aware of your presence as we go from this place to understand that the time we have in our life is valuable and it's a gift for us being able to see our work and the things we do as gift. God, I, just, I pray for a, a spirit of humility uh, that we would come to understand in some way, shape, or form that we are not 
we are not you. <laughs> Our world fools us into thinking that. That we are in the uh, master of our fate and the captain of our soul. I ask that we would uh, repent of that, Lord. And that we would embrace the fact that we are just humble image bearers, creatures in your kingdom that uh, are looking to worship you. Thank you for Jesus and the eternal life that he promises us. I pray that we would uh, take one step closer to him in the season we are currently facing. We love you, O Lord. How great is your name in all the earth. Amen. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. David's on. Uh, Homework. Your homework is to read and meditate on Ecclesiastes 3, 16 through 22, 4, 1 through 16. I don't know if David will do all of that, but these are important things to be looking at life. Uh, And read the whole book of Ecclesiastes by March 26th, okay? I'm not going to be great in you on that, but it's good for understanding the whole book. Read it. We'll see you all next week.